Welcome to the Game Breakers podcast, where we look to bring you t- tips, insights, and experience from the world of sport. My name is Rob Nicolay, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host Danny Wilson. But today, we're joined by former Sulphur Red Devils, Whitehaven, Witness Vikings, Gateshead Thunder, Barrow Raiders, Swinton Lions, and Gloucester All Goals coach, and longest-serving Scotland's uh, rugby league coach. Yeah, and now, to the Rugby League Cares and Wel- uh, Welfare and Development Manager and England Lions coach, Steve McCormick. Thanks for joining us, Steve. Thanks, Rob. It's a full list, that is. It <laughs> is. <laughs> More clubs than Tiger Woods. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for joining us, Steve. It's, uh, it's great to have you on. Let's say... Um, you know, more so in your capacity now, and we'll delve into that a little bit deeper as we go on. You know, as, you know in your role at Rugby League Cares, but just going to go through uh, as we do, you know, with everybody, just you know, talking, taking us through the journey um, first and foremost. So, Danny, unless you've got anything to say, we'll uh, we'll, we'll jump straight in. Yeah, just welcome, Steve. Thanks very much. Like Rob said, thanks for your time. I'm interested to see how somebody who's had so many clubs as a coach makes that transition into, you know, with. Rugby League cares and things like that. It'd be really interesting in this one, so I'm looking forward to it. Off you go, Rob. <laughs> well, like we said, you know, we speak to you know everyone that's been on the, this series one um, to, to describe themselves. Ultimately, you know, how would you put yourself into words? Steve McCormack is a person, husband, and father. Well, I think it's a tough one, that isn't it? It's um, probably just a, a family man first and foremost. I think you know you like to think. Uh, you know, a good dad and um, you know a good a good husband. You know, to 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 my wife Rebecca. You know, that's uh, the most important things to me. Um, hard working and honest as well. Really, I think uh, you know that's that's something that um, I've always tried to be. Um, always look for me, my family, my kids to be as well. Um, and hopefully, you know, other people will see me that way as well. I think you said they're not hard working and honest, and looking at the traits in people. And a lot of times, especially in rugby league, we're kind of identified as outsiders from where we're from. You know, being from Hull, myself and Rob in Yorkshire, you, you know, I've worked with a lot of coaches and players being from Wigan and they're a certain type of person. I think Wigan is, is the world. One player actually said in, in France once was at the hand dryers and, um, you know, in Dyson hand dryers. And he said, they have these in Wigan. And he's like, well, it, it is part of, of the world. So, but for you as a Wiganer, proud Wiganer, what traits do you portray that somebody from Wigan would, would have? Well, I think it's well, I'm, I'm really proud of, of, of the town me, Danny, you know, where you're from and, you know, the people, the, the heritage, the history of the, of the town. You know, it's a, it's a hard-working, working-class town, Wigan, um, similar to a lot of, of, of towns in the north. And, you know, the, the actual people, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of humour in the town. You know, I think there's a lot of... Um, Romans, as we say, you know, a lot of of, of, of good people. Um, I think it's renowned for for obviously creating good rugby league players as well. I think yeah, you know, when you're born, you're born with a rugby ball in your hand as well. And um, I, I just think the actual, um, you know, the history of the town goes. Obviously, there's a lot of things going on with the mines and um, a lot of things with uh, with the actual uh, heritage of, of the town. And it's just it's a good place. You know, I've been brought up and. Uh, brought up, up here and uh, very proud of what what this small town has achieved in in, in both business and and sport as well. You look at the football club, you know, sensational at the moment, going through the tough times and uh, at this present moment in time. But you know, for a small town to have a a fantastic rugby league club, um, a fantastic football club, what's achieved an awful lot and and a lot of stuff with regards to business is um, is something that I'm proud of and 
and all it was you know get wound up about being proud of of, of being a winner but you know, I certainly am I think that's great and, and and like you said a lot of when we talk to people on this podcast it's about hard work honesty and and having that resilience and all the stuff that you've just hit on there probably epitomizes Wigan and and in rugby league terms only probably is the reason why they have been so successful at producing players for them very reasons. Yeah, I think I think it's probably a bit of a unique town as well, and that's not be disrespectful for any other town. Um, and, and I might be a bit biased, but the amount of professional professionals that you know the, the the town has produced, not only for Wigan but for other other teams and internationally, and, and not only for you know one or two years, it's just been sustained throughout it. And as a sport, we're a, it's a tough sport. It's a tough sport, rugby league, um, but it is based on hard work, grit, honesty, resilience. Um, you know, and I think I think Wigan, as, as well as a lot of, of northern towns, as I said, um, show an awful lot of that, and I think that's reflected in the amount of players you know, currently playing in the game at the moment. Yeah, from a, like say talking about players that have come through being professional, I'm sure like say some of the listeners on here, you know, that's what what they're listening to it for. You know, looking at their developing players. You know, one conversation I had with, uh, with Sean Briscoe came through the Wigan system. You know, years ago uh, when he was working with us at Hull KN. He said the difference that he's noticed between the Wigan system and going around others, and like I say, might be biased slightly, is they're obsessed with trying to get into that first team. You know, the, the scholarship and academy means nothing to them unless they get that first team jersey. And I think you know, some systems can be can be guilty of that sometimes, you know, or, or some players can be guilty of that sometimes that they've achieved something, you know, before they've actually got to that grand stage, if you like. I think um <clears throat> Only from experience, really, both, both as, a, as a player a few years ago and obviously working in that Wigan system with the scholarship and then, you know, working with, with Sean Wayne with the first team and Adrian Lamb. It, it's, you've got to be grounded and very humble. That, that's, that's the two things that um, attract to being a Wigan player. Obviously, you've got to have all the hard work and you've got to be skillful, etc. But um, it, it's not a club that you get lots of pats on the backs very early. You know, you've got to earn everything you get, you know, so... You know, from a contract point of view, that you know, I know they don't offer as much money out to to, to young players, and um, invest in the staff, they invest in the infrastructure, the facilities, um, and the recruitment's really important. So for 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 the young people coming into the club, you know, the permits, etc., um, they know what to expect. You know, the the actual uh, history of the club and um, everybody that's gone before them isn't lost in that. You know, the first conversation we have and all, all we had, obviously, I'm not there anymore. Um, but taking around the training ground was looking at the history of the club and 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 how lucky that everybody is to to actually be in there and you know what it takes to be a first team player and um, yeah that, that's what I really enjoy I, I really enjoy being part of uh, you know and, and watching it and watching these players progress through uh, not only on the field but but you know doing really well off the field as well. I'm just going to take you back slightly um, and talk to us about. You love the rugby league, obviously from a rugby league family, but you know, where did that love come from and, and how did it sort of uh, spark, if you like? Um, I think, well, my dad, my dad played. My dad played at Wigan. Um, he signed 1959, my dad, and, and played uh, three or four years there. And that was a time when they had the great Billy Boston and Eric Ashton and, and stuff. And proper proud Wigan and my dad, probably that's where I get, I get it from. Um, you know, so, so from a very a young age, I remember just watching the great Wigan teams, you know, with, with Andy Gregory in there and um, Sean Edwards and Ellery Hanley and Andy Goodway and, you know, the, the list just goes on and on. So 
you know, I think if you was born in Wigan, you generally did that. You know, you went uh, you went watching Wigan and they were just fantastic times. I think they were the first full-time team as well, which gave them an advantage. Um, so from a rugby point of view, uh, watching it is something that, that I always did. I remember my first game watching it was, I think it might have been 1981, 82, when a Queensland team came over and played at Central Park. And, you know, after watching that first game, I, w- I was hooked. Um, I only started playing the game late. You know, I was a footballer. Um, believe it or not, played a little bit of Wigan Athletic as a young, youngster. I don't think I'd be able to do that now. But, um, you know, so, so as far as playing it, I only started playing it in, uh, in, in high school, probably 13, 14 years of age. I was a footballer prior to that. Um, but I used to go watching Wigan Athletic on a Saturday. Um, used to go with my own. My dad never used to, to, to go that. He just liked his rugby, my dad. And then we used to be watching the rugby on the Sunday. So, uh, good childhood, real good childhood. And, um, you know, it was just great to be part of, of, of watching those great Wigan teams. Yeah. I think you, you said there, didn't you say about football? I think a lot of uh, talented rugby league players do come from football. And we've had some in our system. I think talent transfer is really important now when we're looking at um, trying to grow the game and, and taking kids from football into rugby league. Yeah, well, I see that now, Danny. I see that with a lot of players, you know, like you mentioned, the, the talent transfer system, which has been great for our sport. Um, and, and going through the the, um, the some of the players who's, who's, who's currently in the Wigan first team who came through our system when I was there, they were good footballers and good cricketers, um, basketball players, um, rugby union players. Obviously, they've got the same kind of, of skill set as, as what we've got. But, um, you know... I, I, I remember us going watching, you know, sports days, you know, as a, as a recruitment team and, you know, the, the local school sports days, just looking, um, you know, at, at athletes there as well and who could move well. And um, ultimately it comes down to that, that toughness as well with our sport. But I don't think you can underestimate the amount of, of good rugby league players that have come through who's previously played other sports. And, you know, multi-sports is really important. And, and uh, you know, we, we tapped into that while we was at Wigan. Obviously, finishing playing, and you used to touch on there about being in development systems at Wigan, but um, step into coaching, coaching Super League, the youngest coach in Super League uh, with Salford, 2001. How did, that, how did that come about, and what was that journey like? Well, it was, it was a long journey with a few ups and downs, that, that's for sure. Um, my career finished with a shoulder injury um, when I was 19, and so... You know, I felt like my world had ended then. You know, I just wanted to to play professional, and um, I was lucky enough to to play some some rep games and stuff, and represent England and Great Britain as a youngster. And you know, I had the world at my feet, so to speak. And my career got got cut short by um, you know by shattering my shoulder. And um, so I, I was really lucky that I took up some coaching at, at my local club, Wigan St Jude's. who were really good to me, um, and then. Quite friendly with Andy Gregory. My dad was a good friend with Andy Gregory and he used to come down to um, to the local sports centre that I used to work in and did some conditioning for them. And it coincided with the, the, the centenary season 1995 and you know, Salford um, had a good side then. And they actually won the league and got promoted into Super League and, and, and thankfully Greg offered me a full-time job as an academy coach, uh, which which was brilliant. The, the, the times under Andy Gregg and, and, and the early times at Salford was unbelievable. Um, so thankful to, to be part of that and given that opportunity. And Greg did well, the academy did well, and you know what, what, what I was coaching, and um, it just progressed from there. Really, Greg unfortunately, you know, lost his job in um, ninety nine, two thousand. John Ivy came over, and John lost his job in two thousand and one, um, and was given the opportunity. And probably too early for me, you know. If I look back, it was a, 
a conversation I had with John Wilkinson, and he was, he was the chairman at the time, and um, he said he didn't know whether he wanted to give me the job because there comes a point where I have to get rid of us. And, you know, I'd had a long time at the club, you know, five or six years, and um, it, it was going into a, a team that wasn't doing great, the culture wasn't great, and it was a tough job for a young coach um, with no Super League experience. But I took myself into it, uh, won a couple of games early on. Um, second season, uh, we struggled early on, and... Um, you know, John, John decided to, to bring somebody else in, but great times, but um, also pretty tough stuff with that as well. I can imagine, you know, like you say, being young and being thrust into into that. How did, um, and how over time now, um, sort of reflecting on your coaching, is, has your philosophy changed as a coach and what, what are those key values that you, you've always held and, how it, and some of that maybe changed? I think I think you, you keep your key values. I mean, m- most importantly, you, you want to work with good people. You know, you want to see players do well both on, on and off the field. You know, you want to see them have good manners and uh, you know have, uh, have have good families or good good you know relationships. And that's really important. That that stayed with me all the time. I think the the work ethics always stayed with me. Um, I think early on when I look at it, you know, I was. I was a young coach then, and, and, I, and I got the job, and I was coaching like my heroes, like Martin Afaya, you know, Michael Hancock. You know, he just won a grand final at Brisbane Broncos, and you know, I'm just thinking, wow. So I, I was probably overawed with it as well. Um, I wish I could go back now, knowing what I know now, um, you know. But I look, I look back, and um, it was a fantastic experience. But I also look at the pressure that that it puts some families under as well. You know, I was a young coach with a young family. You know, my, 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 my dad, my wife, um, it's, a, it's a, a bubble that you're in and it, it puts the whole family and network under immense pressure. Um, so I look at that and I look at that being a tough time, but I also probably think it was the making of me, you know, both as a coach and as a, as a person. Just listen, listen to some of that stuff now and I, I'm thinking forward to some of the questions that's going to come about your role and career cut short with a, with a massive injury and, you know, Pressures of a young coach being thrust into into that environment. I can see now why you have so much kind of empathy and and success in the role that you're in, and and, and we'll we'll go through that a little bit later on. But you can see that a journey of a rugby league player and coach, it can have you know, it's be turbulent, and, and you need that support. And my you know my next question to tie into that is that turbulence is in championship as a head coach had some great success with like Whitehaven and, and witnessing some kind of just shortfalls in finals and things, but obviously some highs and lows. A, how did that philosophy tie in to help you get that success? And B, how do you manage to cope with that adversity and them lows as well? I think I got better as a coach, Danny, you know, just through experience. So being that, uh, it's totally different being an assistant coach than a head coach. You know, as an assistant coach, you know, you can be the the players, the players' friends, um, you know, they'll confide in you. Um, you know, you, you, you're looking at the, the, the week's training, um, you know, you can be, have that buzz about uh, about the place. And when you get to that head coach, it, it's, it's really tough. You've got to make tough decisions. Um, the players who, who you pick like you, the players who you don't, don't like you. You've got to be honest with them. Uh, you're in that, that scrutiny of winning every week. You have to win. You know, that's, that's the key. And um, I think I learned, uh, it, it took a while, it took a while. I was quite fortunate to go to Whitehaven. I think that was, um, you know, a, a, a big move for me. When, when I went up there, I remember the first season, 
uh, we, we finished mid-table. It was, it was a, a real good club. They used to win all the home games, used to lose all the away games because uh, of the travel. Uh, I remember making some big changes that first year and they were tough changes then. And I, and I look back, you know, we released some, some players who had been at the club for a long time. You know, good people, good players, local players. But we wanted to change the, the, uh, the mentality and we also wanted to win things as well. And, and there were real tough decisions that I thought long and hard about. And ultimately that, that, that changed things around. Um, so, you know, year two and three at Whitehaven, we got to grand finals and we won the league, etc. And I think that came boiled down to them, them conversations, them decisions I made after year one, which, I, you know, probably been a bit, bit more ruthless, um, but just stuck to things that I wanted to do. And uh, still being honest with the players, but you'll have to make tough decisions at times. And I look back and probably that first year at Whitehaven uh, was, was a massive learning, learning thing, uh, thing for myself. We speak a bit, and we have done with, with other people, and, and a lot in your job now about relationships and relationships with players as a head coach. How do you maintain good relationships with a player who you might not select for big games or you might have to let go or deselect for a period of time? How do you maintain them relationships? I think this feedback's important. You know, I think, I think just, I keep using the word honesty, but it, it's a big thing. You know, regular feedback, if, you, if you're going to drop a player, you know, They've got to know why, and previously to to them dropping them, you've got to they've got to understand, you know, how they can improve. So it's not just a matter of dropping it on the toes. Um, and I probably never been too close to players as well. You know, so you know, I look at over my career, and I've never been one really to to go out socialising with players. Um, you know, go out drinking and and, and stuff. I, I, I do I do keep a, a quite a strict boundary as well. And, and it served me well. I'm not saying that's the right thing to do, but it's, it's definitely served me well. You know, I'm, I like you know working hard and training and, and just getting back to my family. And um, that that's something that um, you know I look at I look at coaches who I've worked with and who I've seen, and um, you know they do it different ways than me. But I've always thought that's that's been one. I've never been one to you know to, to get really really close to the players. Um, I, I take a, a real interest in what they do and, and, and the families, etc. You know, from I'm close on that point of view. But as far as socialising and going out, um, you know, I've never never really done that, and it's it's stood me in good stead. Just moving on um, now to, to your time with Scotland. Obviously, appointed head coach of Scotland 2004, and and overseeing um, three World Cups. You know, taken from there. What was the transition like from that, from the day-to-day coaching of a, you know, of a championship or Super League club to, to then you know, work on the international stage with a group of players that you, you don't get as often? Uh, <clears throat> tough, tough, but exciting in, in, in a way, Rob. I think, um, first of all, to get the phone call, given that job was a bit of a shock. It was David Wake that rang me. I remember being in, the, uh, in the office at White and they asked me about it. And I'm not Scottish, I'm English. You know, I've... Um, no Scottish in me. I've got Irish grandparents, born in Wigan, um, and I'm English. So um, I always looked at, at, you know, if a national team should have, um, you know, a, a national coach who, who actually, you know, has, has got the heritage there. And I always thought that. Um, but I took the job and immensely proud of it. And remember my first couple of years, it was a build up to the 2008 World Cup. You know, that was the aim. It was in Australia. And we wanted to get there. And really, we, we shouldn't have had a chance looking at the team we had. Um, some real good characters, some real good players, but it was a mix of 
Super League Championship and domestic players. Um, some were absolutely crackers, um, bonkers the players, you know. Um, but but it was good, and we set a culture that we enjoyed ourselves. Um, it was something that myself and Dave Rotherham, who was a real good assistant, and we wanted to get the right players in. Um, initially, we couldn't be choosing because we we didn't have a, a big pool of players. But as the as the, the the years went on and as the big tournaments came on. Um, we really highlighted, you know, that they wanted to, um, or they had to want to play for Scotland for the right reasons. And um, I, were, I were lucky enough to get three World Cups and you know, four nations as well, which which is something I'm really proud of. But it was exciting. It was tough. Um, it was a big commitment leaving. Obviously, you know, we, we couldn't have family holidays at the end of the year. Um, but yeah, we had, we had some good times. Some good times there, both on and off the field. You just said, you know, lucky enough that three World Cups, you know, what a fantastic achievement that is. And, and, and look, you know, maybe have some part of it, but certainly not down to having three World Cups. That's down to obviously you and, and your ability as a coach. So very modest, going back to that humility you spoke about with, with Wigan people. But you said some good times. Take us through your highlights as a Scotland coach. And then the second part is how do you coach an international team when you've only got a certain period to prepare for them compared to having like a full pre season with them? A club. I think I think highlights, Danny. There's, there's, there's loads. Um, getting to the 2008 World Cup, you know, we had a double ladder against Wales to, to qualify. You know, and, and Wales full of superstars in that side. You know, and you look at both both the teams on paper. We didn't have a chance. The only the only people that that knew we'd, we would win um, was us. And, and fantastic. So getting to the World Cup in 2008 was brilliant. We, we then we got over there. Um, we got beat with France in the first game. Uh, we should have won. Uh, disappointing. That was in Canberra. And then we played. We played Tonga the um, the the week after. And, and and sorry, Fiji. It was Fiji we played. And, and again, star-studded team. Jared in and um, you know just just full of NRL players. And we beat them. You know, we beat them with championship and and a, and a couple of, of Super League players, which was unbelievable. So that's the highlights. And then we look at 2013. You know, we get through to the quarterfinal. We beat, we beat uh, Tonga, USA, uh, drew against um, uh, Italy, and we played New Zealand in the quarterfinal, which was unbelievable. And the Four Nations, which was good. You know, it, it just goes on. I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky to be part of it. You know, we, we drew against New Zealand um, at Workington. Should have won that one. Um, and then the World Cup again in 2017. So, so, so many highlights and so many places that this game's enabled me to go. You know. Around the world, uh, and meet so many, so many great people. I think as far as coaching short term, and you both, you both know know this as, as well as me, and both fantastic at doing that. It's it's just getting the right right players in, the right staff. Um, planning is really important. You know, so I've been um, you know making sure that everybody knows what they're doing from a session point of view, um, from a, an organisational point of view, and it's just making sure the players are. Um, have those values that we all know, you know, that that they you know they're respectful of, of, of where they're training. Uh, I know Robin, Robin and I we did the England Community Alliance uh, last year. I loved it. It, 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 were, it were brilliant, Rob. You know, we had a we had a good time, a good laugh with it as well, but we took it really serious, didn't we? And yeah. um, you know, just just making sure that the players are organized, um, that they're respectful and they know exactly why they're playing. Um, you know, you can do loads and loads of set plays and, and stuff, but you know, when you've got a short-term rep, it's just a matter of getting the team coherence ready and, and, and making sure that everybody knows each other and, um, you know, enjoys the time. 
Great. So then as you look at you know those highlights, and there is so many you know within there, and and we look at even within your introductions, you know the, the amount of um, teams that you've worked with in different organisations over that time. What would you say is your biggest sort of game breaking or uh, career defining moment? Tough one. It's a tough one. <laughs> I know, even even at Gateshead, I know I know Daniel's there for a spell, but you think you got rid of me? That's what made you. Yeah, you know, we went up there, and it was what a, what a place that was. You know, just the actual structure, and, and I think we won. It was eight out of eleven, not to to, to stay up, so we, we beat Lee twice. We you know, we beat witnesses, we, we beat all, you know, to lose away, all, all the top sides. And that, that was pre- from a, a team that, that was struggling in that division. I think my career-defining moments, nothing, nothing to do with um, on the field. I look at making a drive up to Whitehaven to, to meet the board. You know, when I, I got sacked from Salford, I was lower than a snake's belly. And I got a phone call asking what I'd, what I'd want meet the board at Whitehaven in, in Penrith. Um, horrible night, um, raining, hail, storming, fog. Um, feeling sorry for myself and uh, I didn't want to go up and it, it was actually my dad persuading me to go up. My dad said, just go up, have a look, be respectful, you know, they've, they've took the time to ring you. It was Barry Richardson who was a chairman at the time. You know, you, you can't let people down, you know, you, you can't do that. If they're picking up a phone and asking about you, you have to respect that. And I drove up there and that was probably, I never never, never looked back, you know, I, I met I met the Whitehaven board, um, brilliant people um, and then I, had three three fantastic years up at that club, and if I'd never made that drive, and my dad saying go and respect those who's rang you, um, I, I wanted to come in. You know, it's the twenty fifth year now of being involved in this great sport, and uh, if I hadn't made that drive up to Whitehaven, I'd have probably been doing something else. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's a tough tough question, but probably nothing to do with actually being on the field. That's great, yeah. and, and you know, like you say about that career defining moment and going up to Whitehaven, it's if. Like a sliding doors, you don't decide to do that. Who knows where you'd be? And, and you, you have had a great coaching career. And I do remember you coming to get you didn't get rid of me, you didn't get rid of me. I think, um, <laughs> he was I injured. yeah, I was injured. Yeah, I think he was, he was shoulder injured. You just tipped me up about how to get some, some money for it, so appreciate that. Um, but do I remember you coming in and, and we did like you said, you spoke over first about honesty. We had like a, a meeting with all the players, and you had to write on the, on the wall each player's strengths and weaknesses and then tell them what to keep doing. And it, it was brutal, you know, in terms of what people were saying about each other, but it, it almost kind of cleared the air and everybody was able to move forward together. And like you said, there's some, at the time, had some great success on the back of that for a team like Gateshead to, to stay in that championship on the back of it was, was very good. So I had a little taste of, of working with you and, and it, it is reflective of that honesty. I think you said Chubby Brown had done my job at the time, just all about team morale. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I remember that though, Danny. That we, my, my first couple of games we struggled. I think Whitehaven beat us at home, Toulouse beat us at home, and then just I just look back at, me, at, at some of my times at you know that making those tough decisions, and we had to put a bomb up it really. We had to change absolutely everything, and it you know it was a full time team, but was probably training two or three hours a day. Uh, I know it was a bit of a hybrid team, some some players coming in at night as well. But I remember that Toulouse game and we got absolutely hammered at home. And I went home, sulked like I always do. Um, and we put a bomb in it the day after. Um, you know, we did a lot of stuff, changed the training round um, and did that meeting. I remember that meeting. And 
it turns, you know, we got a couple of good players in there, like Nick Youngquist and a few of the others. But the whole culture and the whole atmosphere changed at the club, and it was ruthless. It was ruthless. It was honest. And some of the results we had for 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 that team at that time, considering where they've been, was was superb. So that was another lesson learned from me as well. And the importance of good staff. You remember Alan Dickinson up there as well, and Chris was a, a good local bloke. That's that's really important having good staff as well. So, and going on now to, to probably wrap it up in terms of where you are now in Rugby League cares and, and welfare the manage, manager at the at the Rugby League. How was that transition? I mean, it seems now listening to you, it's been pretty innate within you for your experience, like I said earlier. How was that transition from coaching into this role? It's something I always wanted to do anyway, Danny, to, to be honest. Um, I think being involved in the scholarship at Wigan and, and overseeing that programme, um, you know, I did a lot of like pastoral work anyway, you know, and helping uh, the lads and, and, and stuff. And then I took over the welfare role at Wigan, at a welfare, um, and, and went working with, with Sean and the first team. So I've been doing that for a few years. Something I always enjoyed. I, I probably, you know, I never say never about coaching, but um, <clears throat> I probably had enough of it um, as, as far as being at a full-time role. I had a couple of, of opportunities. Um, <clears throat> So, so taking over that role was, was brilliant. It's certainly with the first team at Wigan, you know, it's something I'd always wanted to do. Um, it, it's, it was a tough role because it, it, a lot of it's based on trust and that, that's not an overnight. Um, but it, it was fantastic. It, it was um, from a transition from a coaching point of view to a, to a, like a welfare. Well, I, I find it quite easy because, uh, and I did cut myself off from the coaching side of it. Still did the scholarship. Still, still the little bits with the first team, you know, match day and on the, on the sidelines with, with Sean and his coaching staff. But it was a distinct um, cut-off and coaching and that was done on purpose. So the, the players would, you know, if they, if they were struggling with anything or they wanted advice, they would come to me. And if I could help, I would. If, if I couldn't, I'd sign post them. And, and they knew that I wouldn't tell Sean, I wouldn't tell anybody, um, you know, that, that they were getting support. And, and, and Sean was, was, was good with that as well. You know, very supportive and, um, I think it's a fine line, you know, with, with, with getting that trust of the players. So, uh, answer your question, you know, I thought I found the transition pretty easy. Um, but as far as like the workload and everything, it's um, it's probably probably a little bit more than, than, than coaching, believe it or not. I imagine. Yeah, just just with that it brings on to the next question, really, you know, with the workload and a lot of people see what rugby league cares does, has done recently, you know, with you know, the high profile cases. So. Like Rob Burrow or you know Mossimusoy and and things in and around there, but just describe to us what your typical day or week might look like within that role. Oh, it just just changes, Rob. You know, I think um, I think with with Rugby League Curs, it's fantastic organisation does does amazing work. You know, you look at the grants, the heritage program, um, the offload program with the community clubs. Um, from a, a, a welfare point of view, my role I took over from Emma Rose warning. In March, and Emma left the left the welfare um, of the sport in a great place. You know, we're well known as a sport to be really proactive in looking after our players. And um, so, I took over from Emma as as, as overseeing all the welfare side of it. And a day to day, week to week, so different. You know, I can be meeting players just to have a, a, a chat, just to see how they, how they generally are. Um, I could be seeing players who's in crisis, who are really really struggling. You know, I could be sat in a uh, in a hospital in in Hull somewhere, you know, with a player, I can be sat in a hotel uh, for the players who, who's in crisis. So it, it does it does vary, you know. I, 
I always have a problem with the player welfare managers now um, who do a fantastic job at each Super League club and um, also look at like a, the blueprints and the processes and just making sure that um, you know the players have got you know career action plans uh, along with Julie Measures our careers coach um, I've got coping strategies of um, you know ju- just looked after you know so it's a it's a privileged role um, you know you see you know you don't get many players ringing up saying they won the lottery. You know, it's um, some players really struggle, like like a lot of people do in in the, in the general in the general public. But um, it's a fantastic role, privileged role, and it, and it's good to be able to help people. Yeah, I suppose you know, like you were talking earlier, it's it's great to see those players that have progressed through when you're working within a system, a scholarship system, or academy system, similar to what we do. But you know, seeing that, you know, being able to. Uh, help a mentor or player through those tough times must be just as rewarding, if not more so. Hundred percent, yeah, definitely. And and with the with the confidentiality with the role, nobody ever knows. And and you know, I don't want anybody to know. You know, but it, you know, I look at, at players who's playing Super League and you know Championship, and you know they, they might be on the telly at the weekend, and nobody knows what they go through. Nobody knows what anybody goes through. You know, we we all need support um, at times. You know, myself included. So. Just to be a small part and be privileged to be able to to, to help them, um, along with the charity, is is it's really powerful, and that that's what what get, gets me going. You know, gets me up every morning. Um, you know, just seeing that you know that that play and, and the families and the partners who, who's really struggled finding a way forward, and um, it, it's it, it's really powerful when you see that. I think that's massive. You just said there, but you know, I see it there, like players that are playing Super League on telly and. They are a big kind of hegemonic, masculine athlete, you know, and, and bulletproof to some people. And you know, in this day and age, they're open. They're open with social media and everything to to be attacked. And, and people don't see all the time the, the struggles that players do go through. You know, they have great highs and they have great lifestyles and stuff. But also, sometimes it can be uh, a lonely place. And to have that support, I think a people need to understand that and, and b to have the support the game gives them. And, and in your role, see, I think is exceptional. So, congratulate you on on that and, and the work you do. Yeah, I don't think you can underestimate that, Danny. The pressure that, that the players and, and the families are under. You know, you mentioned social media. Uh, every day, every week, you know, the actual um, abuse and um, comments they get on social media. Some good as well. You know, some, some really, really good, and the majority are good. Um, but the impact it has, you know, and, and you always say to players, don't read it. Families don't read it, but they do, um, and, it, and it's massive. And you, you look at, at people think, "Oh, how can how can players be struggling when the the, the playing on the field? That that's all they do, and they get well paid." Well, you know, they couldn't be further from the truth. You know, there's no um, no barriers or anything like that to, to anything with regards to mental health, and um, it, it, it's a tough sport and, and tough men. You know, the, 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 and, and women who, who play our sport and. I think previously it was all oh, I'll just crack on, and I've been guilty of that myself. You know, even as a coach, just get on with it, crack on. Um, but I think it's changing now, and I think it has to change a lot more. Uh, but it's it's just great that there's got people like rugby leakers and the player welfare managers that the players can go to. Sporting Chance has been fantastic. You know, there's a lot a lot of players access help from Sporting Chance. Um, you know, it's just it's just good to to be able to sign post to places like that. Outstanding, excellent, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Truly, thank you for your time, Stephen. I want to wrap it up. But before we do, just a couple of questions that we ask that we can kind of 
do some uh, resources around firstly is, is who's the best coach that you've worked with worked under and why would they they're the best coach I've learned, I've learned some some from every coach Danny you know Andy Gregory was brilliant early on and I said John Harvey I remember being Mike Gregory's assistant for Great Britain when we went on a tour to France um, unbelievable you know the players would, would run through a brick wall for Mike um, I think you look at probably Sean Wayne you know, I was I was lucky enough to be part of his coaching staff for for a number of years, and um, you know the grand finals and the challenge cups and the world cup challenges. Just just the way, it, just driven, honest, um, passionate, and one one thing we're wearing as well, just really knowledgeable about the game. You know about the actual you know, tactics of the game. You know, a lot of people think oh, Wayne his team will just run through a brick wall, but tactically wise, is 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 fantastic and. I think for him to be appointed the England coach is, is is brilliant, and I look at probably his, you know, the, the times when when I was with Wayne and people mentioned about winning things. But I remember the season when we didn't do really well. You know, we we, we went to the Challenge Cup final and Hull Hull beat us at Wembley, and it, from from Wigan point of view, it wasn't wasn't a good season. But the way that like Wayne was during that season and and after the season and the decisions that were made. Um, and the standards that he drove when he, he couldn't have felt sorry for himself, um, you know that that was unbelievable. So that that's probably the season where I probably learnt most um, working working with Sean. It was a um, real privilege, um, you know, a few years working there. Brilliant. And and last question, just to, to wrap it up. Question again that we've asked everybody: What's your best drill or coaching activity that you like to actually go to? It's in your back pocket in case you need to to pull it out at any point. I've got some barons, Rob. <laughs> I've got some shockers. You've probably seen most of them. Uh, I just think small-sided games are the one, aren't they? You know, just um, I think we can be regimented as coaches. Um, you know, the communication side of it and overloading games and, and just getting players playing what they see. You know, whether it's, you know, your nines jumping out and counting numbers and um, just appreciating space. Um, so as far as... It's not necessarily like one individual drill. I just think, you know, repetition, quality repetition, loads of games, loads of touches of the ball. Um, you know, you don't want to be just doing, you know, drills just for the sake of drills. So um, just overload games, you know, putting putting the defence and the attack under pressure. I think that's that's the way to go. Fantastic. And again, like exactly the same as what, you know, what we'd say. And, and again, you know, wrapping up sort of not just this podcast, but this series one as well. I think that's been consistent with, with, Pretty much the majority of all of our guests has been you know, letting let the game be the teacher, let the kids play, you know, let let players play and, and they can express themselves and learn from there. So it's been fantastic. From my point of view, it's a pleasure to have you on, Steve. You know, we've been trying to get you on for a while, <laughs> but it's really uh, it's been brilliant. I think you know there's so much that people can take away from that. And you know, from myself, thank you. And for me, it's a, it's a pleasure to work with you and to know you as well. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, same as Rob. Thank you. It's been it's took a while for me to get on. <laughs> Next to my phone for the last six months, you've been promising this. So <laughs> just uh, appreciate you having us on, and you know I've, I've watched all the podcasts; they've been brilliant, and you know just just keep keep doing the great work you're both doing as well. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, thanks for your time. And, and for me, this was a, was a pretty special one. I think touching down on, on more of the raw emotion of being a ugly person, you know, on off the field player, support staff, whatever. I think the job you're doing now and you're involved with has got. You know, a significant more to put in people's lives. You've touched on you know, families of players and I think I you know, wish you all the best in continuing on that role and, and we'll work together 
points in the future, I'm sure. So thank you for your time and good luck. Thank you, Danny.